to the esteemed finance and accounting community. After much consideration and deliberation, it is with a heavy heart and misty eyes that we are announcing that we are pulling the CGMA certification from the U.S. market effective immediately. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As many of you know, I'm all about the niches and niche apps. Putting your business clients in the proper niche app is providing them with a 100% solution versus at best the 85% solution of a standalone accounting app. If you have clients that are architects, engineers, consultants, or lawyers, Core is the app for them to best manage their firm, increase their staff productivity, and ultimately increase their profits. You don't need to juggle between multiple apps. Core has it all and an easy-to-use, all-in-one app for project management, including time and expense tracking, budgets, forecasting, client billing, and accounting. Even though Core is an all-in-one platform, it still works nicely with the apps like Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive, QuickBooks, Xero, and AccountRight, offering you and your clients the maximum amount of flexibility. Core offers a full-function mobile app and recently launched a cutting-edge voice-based assistant for your smart speaker of choice. To learn even more about BQE Core, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Did I mention that BQE Core works great for bookkeepers, CPAs, and accounting firms too? Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And I am Ben Juan. Ben, thanks uh, for joining us. And Ben, where are you joining us from? I am over here in sunny Pennsylvania. Sunny Pennsylvania. Other side of the country here for us. It's Friday afternoon for us, Friday evening for you. I'm excited to have you on the show because you are you are a CMA, you are a CPA, and you are an MBA. Did I get all three of those right? Correct. And uh, in what order did you what order did you do those? I did the CPA first because that's the one everyone knows doing you know what the cool mm-hmm. kids are doing. Uh, uh-huh. Did the CMA to try and elevate my level of accounting knowledge, and then the MBA to round it out. But you list them. You list them in a particular order on LinkedIn, right? I do. You are a big advocate for the CMA. Yes. And so I'm. I'm eager to talk to you about that, and also some of your thoughts about the AICPA and the CPA, since you've got both. That, that's going to be really interesting to talk with you about that. Absolutely. What else do we have on the What else do we have on the docket today, David? Uh, so money. Uh, lots of big raises and money going to companies. Uh-huh. That's on the docket today. Uh, more ransomware updates, as always. Uh, departures. We have a lot of departures that have happened this week. Not a lot, but notable departures this notable week. Notable departures. We of, could start there. Thanks. Yeah, let's talk about that. Matt Rizzle is leaving Intuit at the end of the year. So Matt Rizzle of T-Sheets. Right, so, so T-Sheets was acquired by Intuit, and then Matt Rizzle became uh, what, a VP there? That's correct. Yeah. And I... And that's it's been three years already. That's kind of like. uh, yeah. I I couldn't believe it. That's uh, su- super fast. Um, and then Sage had news, right? And, yeah. and exit. Well, well, but before we go on to that, okay. I, I'm reading this article now. Um, since their acquisition by Intuit, they were acquired for 340 million, and based in Boise, right? The, uh, the so that Boise T sheets office became an Intuit office, and ha- it says that it's grown by 160 employees to 400 employees, uh, the majority of whom work in the company's Eagle office. Yeah, I mean Matt changed Boise. Yeah, but like this was Intuit going to Boise was a significant economic impact on Boise. Yeah. He changed it, and the growth of the customer base. I mean, it seems like this acquisition really worked out, right? Because their customer base went from 36,000 to 82,000 customers. And uh, yeah, they're the largest employer in Eagle. Wow. Congratulations, Matt. It was a good ride. I wonder what he's going to do next. 
Maybe he'll come on the podcast. He had that. He had the, the bout with cancer a few years back, and so he's really he spends a lot of time with his family, and he has his kids and his wife, and you know, so maybe he, maybe I imagine he'll probably take a lot of downtime. He definitely likes doing all that outdoorsy stuff in uh, mm-hmm. Idaho as well. So. So who else is moving on? I'm going to let you say, because I always <laughs> mess up Jennifer's last name. It's bad because I've been saying her last name for a decade and I mess it up. Jennifer Warawa. I think I got it right. She's leaving Sage. She's leaving Sage. Yeah, that's a big deal because she's been there for what, 12 years? 11 or 12 years, I think the article said. Yeah. Yep. And she took a job with, she's getting out of the accounting industry. So she took a job. She's relocating from Atlanta to Dallas to take a job in construction. And for those who don't know, uh, Jennifer, she what is her role there or what has been her role at Sage? She is an executive vice president, I want to say, of accountants at Sage. Mm-hmm. Is that the official title? Well, so she I, I don't know the, the official title, um, but I know that she ran that channel program, right? The, the accountants channel program, meaning um, selling through accountants, the Sage products. So if I was to say Matt Rizzo is the face of T-Sheets. Could I say Jennifer was the face of Sage? I mean, me being an intuit person, like if I had to say, who do I know at Sage? I'm going to say Jennifer. Yeah. I, and I, I would agree with you. Like she okay. was the face of Sage at all the conferences. She gave the keynote spe- uh, speaking sessions. Like she was the representative that everyone knew. So, And was this true for Sage's small business level all the way up through their enterprise products as well? Like, so was she at the Intact conference giving keynotes as well? Or is she just really just the true Sage branded stuff? Uh, she was at the Intech conference she last was, year, okay. and um, she's been at. I mean, she used to go to uh, Sleater conference, right? And, I mean, and she was there forever. Yep. Yeah. So she kind of did the whole thing, and she's leaving. She's leaving accounting for something completely different. Construction. Yeah, yes. Going to be an exec. So, in a construction company. So then the last uh, departure, Blake, uh, you are leaving Flowcast. There was a LinkedIn post that went out today. Oh yeah, I, I I am leaving Flowcast. That's right. Um, I'm departing at the end of this month, and I'm going to be doing my own thing for a while. So I'm open to helping people with marketing or CAS operations. You know, I ran a client accounting services firm, and and uh, just seeing what's next. So, EVP of Sage. That's available. Well, uh, you know, it, it's the timing is really remarkable. So. <laughs> Who knows? If you want to know why I left, I, I wrote a short post on LinkedIn that'll be in the show notes. You can check that out. And uh, it's all about, well, things change fast in a startup, right? And and uh, we've got to be agile and our marketing focus has shifted. And I am not a guy who's going to go put on a suit. I've spent, unfortunately, too much time in Cal- Southern California wearing sandals. So you're not headed to the big four? There's nothing? No. Really I, David, I mean, I think we should make the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Like, let's it, look, look how far this show has come with just part-time effort. We could really make this thing great, uh, you know, or at least we not could, terrible. I mean, you might have time. <laughs> we could get our Instagram account set up finally. Yes. <laughs> It'll be an Instagram that. account of me in my pajamas every day working on the podcast. I think that'd be really successful. Who would not subscribe? I think actually, Ben, you had a great picture of you and you have a, par- a partner in your content creation efforts and like he was wearing like shorts in <laughs> yeah. front of the camera. Yeah, everyone something. thought he was wearing yeah. um, his his uh, underwear, but they were actually just normal shorts. Uh, so for the top up, we were all formal yeah. with our hair done, our jackets, but bottom down, it's all party. Yeah, exactly. That's the way to do it, right? I mean, yeah. I, We've all been guilty of it uh, on like Zoom meetings and when we work from home, right? You dress up up top, right? That's, That's right. People can see and you're nice and cool <laughs> down below. It's good. So we were talking a little bit before the show about how how expected transitions should be. You know, 
we shift it in the world from where you go into a job and that's what you do for five or 10 years at a piece. And now it should be expected that you go to a job and you should already be planning to leave that job as soon as you start it. You know, you got to plan out what you're going to improve, how you're going to automate, optimize. Uh, you should have an end path planned out. You shouldn't plan to park yourself. And just like seeing people like yourself being able to move to different opportunities strategically, it's just, it's really smart. And it's, it's the trend that's really going on right now. Well, you, you, you actually wrote about this a while ago. And I remember reading your post about how that's, that's how you've, you've thought of your career is that I'm going to go into a company, know what I want to achieve and do my best to achieve that in you know one, two, exactly. ideally in a couple of years. Right. And then you move on. Uh, and, and that's way better than staying someplace for 20 years and not really doing anything or changing anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I did the podcast with Phil Yeager and I talked about how I see myself as an internal consultant. I, I'm constantly trying to learn and get better and be the top of my game. Mm-hmm. And there, there's this divide still between what we expect from normal employees and consultants. And to me, that's outrageous. <laughs> Why should your employees not be held to the same standards? Uh, and yeah. If you can get there yourself, you can write your own ticket. And I've been fortunate enough to do that and you're doing it. And just I hope more people hear this and they, they also want to do that. The world's your oyster. And, and it's nice too, because I think that's reducing the stigma of shorter term employment, right? It used to be that if you jumped around every few years, people would look at you funny. But now if you, if you do it smartly and you have a reason for it, that's right. right? And you can justify these changes, then it's, I mean, I feel like at Flowcast, like I, I came out of an accounting firm doing client mm-hmm. accounting services to go to Flowcast to do product marketing, which I'd never done before, never studied product marketing. I view it as I got an MBA in marketing and I got paid to do it. And so now I can take that skill and go do that uh, either at a firm or at another software company or as a consultant. I don't think it has to be a jump from a company to a company. I mean, when I was at Intuit, I pretty much like, every two or three years was a new job, mm-hmm. right? And it's about not being stuck in any role, yeah, right? And, and constantly evolving and taking on new challenges. Um, one thing you said, Ben, that was interesting is that like thought process of thinking about what your exit is on like day one. And Blake and I did an interview, which will be dropping here soon, um, about selling your firm. And that was one of the takeaways from that interview I remember uh, was have your plan for the exit about don't think about selling your firm 25 years in when you're yes. six months away yeah. from retiring on day one of starting your firm think about how you're going to sell your firm we talked about uh significant departures uh well, well, let's talk about the fundraising the money right the money so there were two big announcements that i saw uh this week it was fresh books raised a bunch of money from chase and scale factor raised another bunch of money uh i don't remember who that was from so let's talk about I think let's talk about fresh books first. Cause I think there's less like insanity yeah. and, and discussion on that one. Is that, I, we can, we might have a half hour of chatting about the scale factor race. So let's, <laughs> let, let's jump into the uh, fresh books one. So the story about fresh books is that they announced an undisclosed amount of fundraising from JP Morgan chase, but given this JP Morgan chase, I imagine it's pretty substantial. They had previously raised 40 million Canadian dollars uh, in a Series A round in 2014 and 57 million uh, in a Series B in 2017. And here's the thing that stuck out for me is that- at, So this might be a $100 million raise. It could be. Uh, I know that that Chase put a ton of that, like, I think they put that amount into bill.com recently. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were making similar size investments, right? And it was stated 
most significant investment so far. So it has quotes. to be like, at least 57 million, right? <laughs> so um, 57 million, one penny. Well, and so as part of the new deal, a Chase representative will be joining FreshBooks board of directors. And FreshBooks said it will use the new funds to continue to expand operations and its business reach. So the, having a banker on the board is going to be interesting uh, at a software company like that. Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar with FreshBooks, they kind of go under the radar sometimes with accountants because they they, they don't market to accountants, really. Uh, it's it's to small business owners, like owners of micro businesses in particular, meaning like sole proprietors and, and all that. And so it's not it's not like they're not like Xero or Intuit uh, going after those accounting firms. They are the largest accounting software company in North America, maybe even the world, just by volume of customers. Well, I think they count their customers a little differently. (laughs) And and what I mean by that is QuickBooks and Xero will count small business owners that are paying for the subscriptions. Mm -hmm. FreshBooks kind of, so so I'm using QuickBooks. I invoice you through QuickBooks payments. You pay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're a customer. And then you invoice the other guy and Ben pays me through QuickBooks. That's a customer. So Mm -hmm. if if Xero and QuickBooks counted similarly in a way, the numbers would not... It's just they count their numbers in kind of a a different way. Got it. Well, but it's still millions and millions. Oh, yeah. I mean, because this is how they get to that. We've served 20 million customers. I mean, going by that, Intuit is served hundreds and 300, 400, 500 million possibly, right? Mm. So it's an interesting question. Yeah. Like, how do you you count those? But they're big, whatever, you know, whatever metric you use, they're big. Uh, So let's talk about the scale factor money. Yeah. So scale factor took another $60 million. So this in just 2019 now, in one year, they've taken on $100 million of VC money. Wow, that's a, that's a lot of money. Uh, and just for perspective, I think at Flowcast, I don't know the exact number, you know, we in six years raised like half that. So this is a lot of money for any, any company, software or otherwise. Absolutely. What's crazy about this is that Skill Factor is not just doing software. They're, they're heavy professional services. They are... They are an accounting firm or bookkeeping firm with engineers under roof. So this yeah. is going to be in that same vein of, arguably, you could say QuickBooks Live is dancing in that space. You got Botkeepers and Ceteris and Pilot and Scale Factor and Bench, right? These companies we've talked about before in the past. And so the thing that blows my mind about this is that they're raising money as if they are a software company which is something where you can scale that really quickly. It makes sense that companies can be valued at you know, many times, many times, 10, 20 times, 30 times earnings. But it's not just a software company. They are providing a service with that software and arguably one that's far more important than the software. Accounting firms are typically valued at anywhere from 1 to 1.25 annual revenues. This this company, Scale Factor, is being valued at well, we don't know. What do what do we know actually about about how big they are? So you but some of the numbers in the article. So they don't have a thousand customers yet. Right. It's very clear in the article they say they don't have a thousand customers, and they recently crossed two hundred headcount. So if you back out that math, yeah. Uh how let's say they have a thousand. So what's the number of uh, clients per body in the office there. So they only have 30 CPAs though out of those 200 um headcount. So they've but got 30 not, 
but yeah, 30 CPAs, but what about bookkeepers and people doing the work? Well, we don't know. And how many of those people, how many of those 200 people are engineers building software? Is well, even, even if they are, let's just assume they're all, it's just headcount, right? So yeah, all, all, a thousand divided by just 200? 200. So we're, it's five. Five. five but they're not even at a thousand. Right. Yeah. Five clients per employee. Like I've talked to accountants and bookkeepers that have, you know, that, that have, they're pushing one bookkeeper's handling 50 clients. You, I right. think you said you had a bookkeeper in the previous episode that pushed like almost 40 clients yeah. a month. Yeah. That's, that's like an all-star bookkeeper, but it also depends on the size of the clients. If let's say, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that there it's five clients per employee that would make these clients enormous. But they're going after that $4 a month QuickBooks Live customer. Right. It's right on their website. They're pricing. Do we know their average like price? What do you what do you think their most I, popular package is? Let's give them the benefit. It's a thousand dollars. Let's let's say they're they're selling payroll and some add-on things and it's it's a higher end package and they're getting a thousand a customer. Okay, and they, let's just assume they have a thousand customers, right? So then that's a million dollars in recurring revenue. So a million dollars in recurring revenue makes you worth a hundred million dollars in investment. And here's the other thing that's crazy is they said that this is in the Crunchbase article that you shared, David. It doesn't say what their revenues are, but it said that they have 700% ARR growth in 2018, which is just insane. Even for a, for a software company, for an accounting services business is insane. And, and there's actually a mention in here that the CEO admitted that it was from a very small base. Because of course, if you start small, you can have 700% growth. When I had my firm, I, I pulled this trick too, right? It's the oldest marketing trick in the book. You you start with ten customers and you grow to a hundred. You're like, I had ten times, one thousand percent, or you know, growth. And like, it's it's based not, it on my knowledge of this space of these these accounting firms engin- yeah. with engineers under roof. They have the smallest number of customers and have raised the most money. And they, they said, here's the thing that's interesting too: is it says they haven't hit. They expect to hit the thousand customer mark this year by adding hundreds of new customers per month. So. It, it, it's August right now, and if they're going to add hundreds of customers per month to get to a thousand, then let's say it's two hundred customers per month. We've got August, September, October, November. We got that. That's five. That's a thousand customers right there. Five months. Which means they're also going to have to add twenty employees a month to do that. <laughs> so well, based and, on their yeah. current ratios, which which and that's what's confusing because the whole bet of doing this engineering based work with the accounting firms is that you have these insanely awesome ratios. Yeah. That is not an insanely awesome ratio. And then I actually really like think about the money, right? If scale factor is built on top of QuickBooks and Zero, it's right on the website. It's very clear. It's they're, they're fully disclosed, right? They don't have their own GL. They are using, they're leveraging into Off the QuickBooks. Yeah. Um, Pilot, I think, uses QuickBooks. Uh, I think there's another service that uses uh, Zero. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of these guys are using off the shelf. Bench is the only one that I think is not using off the shelf. They're using their own GL that they built in house. So if if you have fifty million dollars, you should just put twenty five million on into it, twenty five on zero, and just ride that out. That's like a guaranteed <laughs> victory. If you believe they're going to win, you yeah. got to be- like. Oh, yeah, none of this makes sense to me. Hey, hey, Ben, are you still there? Yep, I'm here. You know, here, David and I are like amateur analyzing this. He's the credentialed guy, right? He's the credentialed guy. You're, you're the credentialed guy. Like, you're a certified management accountant. I know that you had no idea we were going to talk about this, but I'm just wondering, like, does this any of this make sense to you? Just like looking at it right now, I don't get it. It sounds a little, little unusual. Uh, knowing nothing, just hearing you guys talk, sounds like something's missing or we're not aware of some type of information. My guess is that you've got a bunch of VCs who are looking at Scale Factor like it's a tech company and that they're applying those kind of metrics and, and, and valuations to it. 
and maybe they just don't realize, is it possible they just don't realize how heavy the human component is and that it's not, it can't possibly, nobody has ever scaled an accounting firm this quickly or as quickly as you would need to, to justify that valuation. But. And, and, and it may not be them scaling internal processes yet. Like what they're doing really well is Facebook ads. Half of all VC money goes to Facebook and Google and Amazon. And if you, if you really watch, like, like I see it in my feeds, scale factors at the top of anything that small business or QuickBooks related I search for in Google, I see a scale factor ad. Even other accounting firms, I search for a different accounting firm that's not even a software-based one, I get a scale factor ad. Everywhere on Facebook, I get scale factor. So, so lots of this money is going to Facebook ads, which helps you get 700% growth. Because, yep. but, so they're playing the startup game. There's no doubt. You're getting that growth at very high cost. Because you're, well, you're, the, the cost per customer has got to be the highest in all-time industry. They're probably spending $20,000 a customer right now. Well, hey, if any of our listeners have any more insight into Scale Factor or how this whole thing works, I would love to know. You can please tweet at me, tweet at David. Like, let's figure this out because it's a mystery. Even Scale Factor yourself. I've reached out to Scale Factor via email before. On, uh, I've reached out to Scale Factor on LinkedIn in the past. I've tweeted at Scale Factor and included this article. Like, I would love to hear from Scale Factor on how, like, why they're different from these other players in this space. Yeah, let's get somebody on to like talk about it because maybe we're wrong. You know, maybe we're just not understanding it. So uh, Ben, yes, uh, let's talk about let's talk about why we brought you on today. All right. So I saw a LinkedIn post that you made, a LinkedIn article that you wrote this week that I just I loved it. <laughs> so it's called "Dear AICPA, I wrote your concession letter." Correct. And you you published this on the seventh, actually. So it was like two days ago, and then I was like, we got to get you on to to talk about this because this is near and dear to my heart. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment and just reading this. Uh, for our listeners, because uh, I, I think it's great. All right, I'll give it my best shot here. I got to put myself in the head of the uh, into the mind of the AICPA. <sighs> to the esteemed finance and accounting community, after much consideration and deliberation, it is with a heavy heart and misty eyes that we are announcing that we are pulling the CGMA certification from the U.S. market effective immediately. With profit on our minds and lust in our heart, we, unfortunately, had entered into a foray that was far beyond our core set of competencies. Our initial estimation of the willingness of people to first purchase a certification to artificially inflate our member count was our first downfall. We had assumed that after reaching a critical mass of paper certificates, that thousands upon thousands of professionals and the accountant and finance community would then eagerly clamor to then pay for the privilege of actually studying for and then passing our exam. In addition, we have failed to recognize that the name given to our brand new certification was not an original idea. Uh, it was, how do you say, heavily borrowed from. We can now admit, looking back, that we were so hungry to emulate the success of the CMA and how they were, in fact, the leading global certification that we just couldn't help ourselves. We wanted to build on their success and add our own special sauce by cramming an additional letter into the mix, a 25% increase in the value to our members. We want to recognize that we had also disrespected dual CPA and CMA holders by creating this confusion in the marketplace. 
You have to admit, though, it was amusing to see our certification pop up on real job postings for a while. We jokingly suggested adding it to the list of key job skills in education, and no one thought that we were kidding. So, well, we just kept running with it. Finally, our biggest failure was to not recognize the innovativeness, the creativity, and the flexibility of our main competitor, the IMA, or the Institute of Management Accountants. Buttressed by a passionate network of net promoter members and a high-performing board of senior professionals, the organization has only become stronger and faster over time. In, in recent years, we've been trounced by the IMA in every market, even the U.S., our home. It is now time to recognize the foolhardiness of our decision. Each month, we have had to agonize by reading through our competitor's publication, Strategic Finance, to painfully bear witness to an ever-growing and truly international list of new members and certification holders that we simply cannot compete with. We recognize that we have a rare window of opportunity now to bow out with dignity and honor before we are completely ushered into non-existence. Going forward, I promise you that we here at the AICPA will focus on the things that make us special, creating new rules for auditing, advocating for state-specific CPE courses, and creating special interest groups to protect entrenched interest. Regretfully yours, the AICPA. And, and you include the disclaimer that this is a satire article that was not written by the AICPA. Correct. It <laughs> <laughs> should not be, um, what was the legal disclaimer they have at the end of all their podcasts? It should not be relied upon for legal guidance or you know any of that. I love that. Uh, thank you for reading that, Ben. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and MailChimp, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World, I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. It only takes seconds to install what is essentially an insurance policy against major disaster, or just those small business owners that like to get, quote, creative in the accounting system. Rewind works automatically in the background, capturing all the changes to your QuickBooks Online in real time. If something does go wrong, Rewind is the only service that gives you 100% control of what you need to restore, be it one transaction, multiple transactions, or all the data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. David, I think you may be a little confused by this. Yeah, so I, I, I am... I am all for stirring the pot. <laughs> I love this. Like I'm all, and I, I love some good satire. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. But I, it's and I'm, it actually reading this, I was smiling. I was like, "This is great. This is this is really really great at a, at a level." But to be honest, I am a little confused. Like I'm 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 not in the loop of the inside baseball of like what like what happened. Like where are you coming from? Like why you wrote this? So any of those types of questions, I'd like to understand. Like 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 they copied. The, a different certification test and they wanted to try to rebrand it and confuse the market. Like, can you give me some background on this, Ben? Yes. Yes. So a couple of years ago, can't be more than three or four, they, the AICPA partnered with SEMA, the UK Accountant Association, it's big in Europe, uh, to create this new certification, the CGMA. 
And what they did is initially all you had to do was send in a check and say you had some type of certification in industry and you got a brand new certification. And and this this cheapens and discredits kind of the whole process of the CPA and the CMA. These things take months of effort, sometimes years of studying. Uh, so <laughs> being able to buy certification to try and win the market is a terrible tactic. And everyone's all right through it. Was this motivated by the success of the CMA? Uh, like the CMA had, had was growing and started and then the AICPA decided to come in and offer their own credential to, to compete with it? Was that how, they, yeah. how it happened? Or? Yeah. Um, nah. be, because I guess everyone's seen these numbers with the number of CPA candidates in the pipeline. It's going down. And so the AICPA is looking abroad, trying to strengthen their product and their, their, their pockets. And they notice that CMA is really expanded to every other country except the U.S. initially. And it's double-digit growth, 20-some percent. And now they're back in the U.S. and 20% growth here as well. So yeah. that's what they were chasing. Well, and speaking of the number of new CPA candidates, right? The the numbers have dropped. I posted a chart that I spotted in a CPA.com white paper on LinkedIn this week that shows from 2005 to 2010, the number of new CPAs versus accounting grads was that line was trending upward at the same rate. Yep. And then somehow something happened in between 2009 and 2010, and all of a sudden that dropped, right? And now there's a much larger gap. The number of new accounting grads has grown, yep. but it looks like the new CPA candidates just continue to drop. Yeah, there's several things going on here. But let's talk about that. What's going on? The big thing that has a lot of people annoyed is this 150 credit requirement. So mm-hmm. before, I guess, 2010, 2012, it was you needed 120 credits. That's what everyone usually graduates college with. And you had had two years of experience working with a CPA firm, and that was your education. But now they they are saying that everyone needs 150 credits. So for many people, this is a master's degree. It might cost $20,000, $30,000 to complete. There's other paths to get around this, but it's just a lot more work. And for what result, it's very unclear to people. Yeah, I was joking online that when I sent my application in for my license, mm-hmm. I, I found out that I was like nine credits short of the 150 requirement. Yep. So I went online to the cheapest community college that I could find that had an online program. I think it was like Oxnard Community College <laughs> here in, in LA. And I registered for Intro to Philosophy and Intro to Management. I really enjoyed my Intro to Management class, given that I've already owned and sold a business. <laughs> like That was really, really helpful to me. That's the, that's the thing that's funny about this 150-hour requirement, right? Is you can take anything. Correct. I mean, I don't even understand the original logic behind it. To what was the David? It, it sounds like you have something. To yeah. Say. So, so like, it feels like one thing the bell went off for me a couple of weeks ago. You you said that in the Cal CPAs, if you're a CPA in California, you have to join that membership. Yeah, I think you. Well, I think you have to right in order to. But the AICP is a hundred percent optional. Yeah. It, it, well, you don't. Yeah, you don't have to be a member of the AICPA. Uh, 
to maintain your license because state certified. Okay. But, and then I've seen people online say, Hey, I'm probably not going to renew my AACPA, right? Like membership yeah. people, people aren't finding value in this. So it's some of these things like, Hey, we're, we're not getting the revenue we want. Let's have another certification. Let's spin up a commercial site like CPA.com. Right. Like, mm-hmm. is it some, and so it does the CPE credit stuff kind of all fall in under that. Like they're getting some kickback from the colleges by requiring more credit hours. Like, is it, is it a revenue game? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be. And with state-specific CPE, this is another issue where people are furious, right? So each state has their own rules. And the state of Delaware, where I'm certified, they have their own ethics course. And to get certified every two years, you have to do their course. That costs money. And they're going to get a cut of that, the state society. But what's different from one state to another? Nothing. Uh, so, so to have these these hoops you have to jump through in order to give money to a, uh, a state society is, is everyone seeing through it and we're tired of it. And just to put some numbers behind this conversation, if if you look at the chart that I'm I'm you know obviously our listeners can't see this chart in 2000 and let's say 2008 2009 it looks like about two thirds of accounting grads were going for the CPA. Right. If you just divide the number of new CPA candidates by the number of accounting grads, it was about two thirds. And if you look at the latest data, which is from 2017, that number has dropped to half. So that's a huge, huge uh, change. Oh yeah. Right. And and if it continues to go down, if fewer than half of accounting grads are going for the CPA, I, I'm concerned about the the CPA's future. You know, as somebody who invested the time and money to get it, I, I'm I'm disappointed. Right. In that trajectory. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, shouldn't that be the rule of the AICPA to encourage people that are graduating with accounting degrees to become CPAs? Like, shouldn't that be their number one most important function? <laughs> Probably to get more members, right? Somebody on on LinkedIn said that like there's a good the good thing about all this is that with fewer CPAs, it creates more demand for CPAs. <laughs> yeah. Right. And but I don't think that actually is true. Because the, it could backfire in that fewer CPAs mean that people aren't as familiar with it, which means that demand drops, right? Like in economics, if you decrease supply, you may increase prices, but you also decrease demand. I've got another chart here kind of related to this whole discussion. Um, this appeared in the June 2019 issue of Accounting Today, and it's a survey that ADP did. And the question they asked 1,500 accounting professionals, they asked 1,500 accounting professionals the question, would you recommend that a young accountant get their CPA license? And a full quarter of those accounting professionals either said uh, no or uh, that they would recommend something else. Yeah, I'm one of them. Uh, so I'm dual certified. I'm one of, there's not that many people who can talk on both sides, uh, like a, kind of unbiased. And people ask me, yeah. unless you want to do tax or audit your whole life, you know, I say go, go bananas, do the CPA. But otherwise, the CMA is so much deeper and it just prepares you for the job. A lot of people have said this, the CPA has helped me get my job, but the CMA helps me do my job. And that, I think ties in with what I have heard from the community, which is that fewer and fewer accountants are going to school and graduating and thinking, I'm going to make partner at an accounting firm someday. Mm-hmm. Like that that dream of making partner, people just aren't that interested in it anymore. And if you, if you aren't buying into that, 
dream, then why would you necessarily need that CPA if you think, well, I'm just going to go into public for a few years and then leave? Yeah, it used to be it was a one it was a one stop shop, right? If you were smart and you went to accounting, you had to do public accounting. You worked a ton of hours. You got a lot of experience. You were better than the industry peers after two to four years. Right. So then you're, you see all these smart driven people with a CPA. So you're like, okay, they're doing so well because their CPAs kind of, you know, but now there's all these alternative paths where you can be very successful without ever working in public accountant. I have never wanted to work in public accountant and I haven't. And I'm at the top of my game. <laughs> so I'm doing very well. There's so many opportunities out there. You don't have to do public accountant to have a really strong career in accounting. Well, so let's, let's, Let's talk a little bit about your background and what you're up to, Ben. I'd love to hear, you know, I know that you are working on CPE courses. You may already have some available. You're a big advocate for the CMA. Like, tell us a little bit about what your projects are and uh, what you're up to and where people can find out about that. Talking about trends, technology is everywhere. And I don't think there's a discipline being more impacted right now than accounting by technology. What we do, how we do it, where we do it is all changing. Uh, so within 10 years, as a complete shift. And there's a huge you know, need for people to understand what skills they have to learn and to help pe- people bridge that gap from where we've been to where we're going to go. So in my career, I've seen so many people who are just stuck and they're not going to get it. So what's driving me is I want to help fill those knowledge gaps between theory and practice. And right now, there's not that many uh, sites for information to understand, okay, if I want to do this, how do I actually do it? Not, I don't want to manufacture widgets, you know? Uh, so, so that's what's kind of driven me. I'm really into the education side. So in that regard, I have um, I actually started producing courses on a site called udemy.com last year. And now I'm up to five courses. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I have a, a website that I run with a team of people called the Numbers Guys. And the basis of that site is to provide the blogs, the really strong blogs that help people understand like what a day in the life of a accountant professional, all these different avenues looks like and how we get our jobs done and what we're interested in. I've also really focused on business process improvement because if we're going to go into the future, we've got to get our houses in order. And I see that to be a huge opportunity. And then there's also this shift in accountants transforming from kind of like the, the stereotype of this bore, boring, dull, introverted person to now someone who's not just reconciling accounts, but working with the business to turn data into insights. So there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of influencing going on. And that's known as finance business partnering. So my two big things right now are finance business partnering and business process improvement. And what's your day job? I mean, because you do this, you're a very busy guy. You're doing this on the side, right? At night. Nights and weekends. Weekends. What do you do during the day? Yeah, that's, <laughs> I do that too. <laughs> uh, so my day job, I'm an operational controller for a company called Seventia, and they make all sorts of cheeses. Uh, they're French owned, and we have four factories here in the US. And I run, I, mean, I guess I'm in charge of the controlling department. So I make sure that our Cost accounting is strong, it's accurate, and we're getting good data out to help the business know what they're doing to make good decisions. Uh, I report right into the CFO, but each day what I love about this job is I'll go from working with the executive team to like data entry clerks. I'm in the plant uh, most of the time. It's a really boots on the ground job. 
And sounds delicious too. Yeah. Um, so, hey, David, before we go, we got a little follow up on our ransomware stories of the last few weeks. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, before we jump into the ransomware one, there was the one that's kind of related to the scale factor one. Um, there's a British company called Crunch. Uh huh. And it's crunch.co.uk. And Crunch essentially has, they're really going after the, like, the self employed market, the freelancers, bookkeeping software. They have their own in-house bookkeepers as well. So it's a similar play, right? It's accountants with engineers under roof. But what they announced, they are now going to offer a freelance bookkeeping network. So an Uber model, just like QuickBooks Live. So this is the third week in a row now. Some other company is now going to offer bookkeeping as part of their software package. Uh, It's going to be interesting reading all the reviews of these various services as they roll out. I, I don't know if anyone's really figured it out yet, right? Well, do you think so... This is hypothetical, and Ben, please chime in on this. So sometimes you get an Uber, and that guy's got an Uber light and a Lyft light, and he's got both phones on his dashboard, or her, whoever's the driver, right? And they're picking some, one ride, they pick up a Lyft person, next ride could be an Uber person. Do you think there's going to be like bookkeepers and accountants out there that'll, hey, I'm I'm doing this? Because chances are uh, HR Block's going to do this with Wave, right? I'm, I'm going to take a, a Wave customer this time, a QuickBooks Live customer, a Crunch customer, like, is it just going to be really like the gigger, the gig accountants or gig bookkeepers are just going to work with all these services at the same time? Well, you know, maybe David, now that I'm going to have some time on my hands, I should just sign up for all of these services and uh, <laughs> report back. As a small business owner or as a bookkeeper? As a bookkeeper. I'll, I'll, I could go be a QuickBooks Live bookkeeper. I could go be a pilot bookkeeper. I could go be a, a scale factor bookkeeper. <laughs> It'd be an interesting bookkeeper. Uh, uh, experiment. I'm sure there's people that have done driving for... Uh, Uber and Lyft and wrote blog posts about that. Yeah, they have. And then they get banned for life, probably. Uh, but that's interesting. That we <laughs> added in there. There's actually people who, who I talk with who are making a business out of kind of doing what you just talked about, trying to get a grasp for all of the apps and uh, resources that are out, th- out there and to translate that into, okay, if I have this problem, what's really the best solution? There's a need for that. Oh, yeah. And, and not, not nearly enough people who are taking the time to um, um, build up that knowledge base. And then and even in specific industries, right, like, like manufacturing, knowing all the different tools available and, and going to different companies and modernizing yep. their IT infrastructure from a financial accounting perspective. Really, really fascinating. Or just cheese manufacturers. Just cheese. You could just specialize in cheese. I'm sure there's some very unique aspects to the manufacturing process that you have to track in your ERP, right? Right, Ben? Correct. There <laughs> is. The dairy industry. Yep, dairy. Cool. So yeah, let's let's talk ransomware again. Ransomware, yeah. Risks. So um, uh, the rewind, it was yesterday or the day before. Um InSync. So the yesterday. CEO of InSync. Um Remember we talked about Lon last week last week's episode that he was planned on joining us for an interview and then he canceled. So we talked about yeah, that last week. Yeah, he bailed on us and now we know who he bailed on us for. And then I saw two days later an advertisement for him to go on uh, the Woodard, uh, Joe Woodard's uh, webinar. And so he was on a webinar and it was... It was uh, well, remember, it wasn't a webinar, it was a town hall. Town hall, okay. It was, I, I, yeah, it was a webinar platform, but it was a town hall. And uh, for people to call, uh, to ask questions about the uh, the attack. Yep. And he so he answered all the questions that came in. Some of the answers did feel a little uh, prepared. Um, and it looks like Bryn Krebs actually uh, attended and he has information and he really did a nice write-up about it. And it looks like they were in for almost 10 days before they actually encrypted anything. Yeah, that's kind of scary that the, the, the attackers were in there for 10 days and InSync didn't know until they unleashed their attack. Um, 
And by the way, for those who aren't familiar, Brian Krebs is a security researcher who has a blog called KrebsOnSecurity.com. And your entire goal as a software company should be to never show up on KrebsOnSecurity.com. <laughs> His blog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so InSync, by the, for those who are not familiar with this whole saga, uh, they were attacked in July 16th or something like that by a malware ransomware attack that like shut down their QuickBooks and Sage hosting platform for two weeks. Uh, I, I might understand he has a, the thing yesterday. There's still some customers who are not 100% up. Yeah, it's only like in the 90 percentile. It's 90% uh, in terms of customers who have access, which is kind of crazy. Um, and, you know, I know, David, you're going to go through a lot of this, but the thing that really stuck out to me is that the reason they couldn't give people backups quickly. Think about this. If, if you get, if your network gets shut down and infected, like that's, that's fine. It can happen. Right. But you should have backups of these QuickBooks files that you can just provide to the customers, but they couldn't do that apparently because the backups were not separated from that live environment. And so they could also have been infected with ransomware. And, and I'm not sure, I'm not clear on whether they were, but it's possible that they were, and which should never happen. Well, right. I, some of this is the confusion caused by these hosting companies, right? So with QuickBooks Online or Zero or true SaaS software, you don't have to make backups, right? You, right. you can back up. Uh, there's tools like Rewind, who's sponsor. Uh, actually, I think they're sponsoring this episode, right? There's tools like Rewind that will, you know, uh, for data entry errors, right? If if you do data entry, you need to rewind your data and fix something that's that happens. But fundamentally, like you don't have to back up your data, not in the same sense you used to have to, right? Like a quick, you, you do trickle, you go to a menu, file backup, and you make a true backup of your data on a removable drive. You take it somewhere else or it's network drive or tape drive, whatever, right? But these hosting providers, because it's in cloud, people kind of assume they don't have to make that backup anymore. And if people were making a backup and saving it to their own local hard drive, they could have just installed QuickBooks to the local computer, right? Yeah, restored the backup and moved on and just washed their hands of this. Yeah, and that so so there's confusion on the marketing of this, which is really 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 like the worst part I hate about it all is just the confusion and then the reluctance for them to not admit that the risk is higher on Windows hosted machines of getting ransomware than a true SaaS play. Oh yeah, Joe Joe said something about how like you're just as much at risk on a on a SaaS provider as a hosting provider. And that's just simply not true. Not for ransomware. Now, there, there's there been breaches. There are data breaches. Like, there's no doubt. Breaches are at all-time highs, right? But the, you could argue that those are, they're getting, you know, it's names, socials, credit card numbers. It's marketing data, right? That that these huge companies have, which is essentially marketing data. But they're not, if, if, if ADP got hacked, I can still run payroll tomorrow. Right. I'm not locked out of my business files. And that's the the, the problem with the these with insight. Um two other so interests or oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say the lesson here for me is is go ahead and use hosting, but make sure that you are managing your own backups in addition to whatever they are saying they're doing. So yep. that, that if their backups fail, you've got your own local backups. Yeah. And we went off on that last week, right? Just yeah. like, you got to back up, you got to back up, you got to back up. So uh, two things that I thought uh, Brian Krebs surfaced was one, a Google ad from NSYNC. Oh, yeah. So so I was, it was uh, pretty interesting. The Google ad says, NSYNC, we're still standing. And I'll read the text of the ad. Competitors are offering empty promises about security to capitalize on the NSYNC attack. That is not okay. But don't worry, we still are. Stick with a company who plays nice, impacted by the attack, 
Call our hotline. I know why they're doing that because I searched in sync on Google and I saw ads from their competitors, <laughs> uh, you know, saying, "Hey, affected by the in sync attack, come to us and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll take care of you." Actually, I just searched and I found one from traptechnology.com/slash in sync. Impacted by the in sync attack? No contracts. Get a free trial. Doesn't hurt to try. <laughs> And the other piece, <laughs> is, oh, NetSuite is doing it. Affected by the NSYNC hack, switch to NetSuite today. Switch off of hosting. Another thing you pointed out is that Alex Holden, the founder of Milwaukee-based cyber intelligence firm, Hold Security, basically came out and uh, pretty much said that if these companies can detect the infection before, they have some elbow room because a lot of the times these people will infect, they'll get on the network and it'll be days before they do any um, encrypting of files. So the key is to find the infection and stop it within seconds. Um, yeah. But you're right. If, if they've already started encrypting stuff, by the time you discover it, it's, it's obviously we're seeing the repercussions of that. Well, speaking of encryption, I got one more story before we go. Okay. From my old firm, Armanino, they are now accepting cryptocurrency payments. Press release came out uh, yesterday. David, so you'll be happy to hear that's another accounting firm that is modernizing their payments platform. What is the angle there? Is that just marketing? I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's really great marketing. And I'm really confused why not every big firm is doing this. Uh, they have Armanino started a blockchain cryptocurrency practice. Okay. And they've been promoting it. So like, why not make an announcement? We now accept every form of cryptocurrency. You can pay us with anything you want. Uh, because of course the tech press are going to pick it up, right? And it's it's like it's, and it's super easy, easy, right? It's just like yeah. getting QuickBooks Merchant Services. It's just you're adding a merchant service for five thousand different wallets. Yeah, it, it, it looks good. Probably though. all you, all you have to do is set up Coinbase or something, right? And it just automatically converts whatever people pay you into uh, U.S. dollars, right? So just a great example of some like easy accounting firm type marketing stuff you could be doing. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminded me of a thought I had in the car when I was driving earlier today about Scale Factor. I was like. You know, and Scale Factor's never once played the AI or blockchain card. Like, and they're raising all this crazy money, and they're not even playing the AI and blockchain card. So. That's true. Well, maybe then, maybe that means there's some actual automation at work. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're doing real wow. things. Sing <laughs> on that note. <laughs> all right. Well, um, this was really fun. Thanks, Ben, for joining us. If, if people want to follow you online, I mean, I know you mentioned that stuff before, but like, what's the, what's the best place for them to follow you personally? And then, um, you know, your website for your project. LinkedIn is the place to find me. And then the, the numbers guys is our website. No, no Twitter for you, Ben? No Twitter? <laughs> I'm on Twitter. I don't know what I'm doing on Twitter. <laughs> oh, we're to get you on. We'll get you in the loop. Well, that's good because, you know, a, a good rule of social media marketing is is pick your platform and kind of like own it. Yep. So you're doing the right thing, Ben. David, where should people find you online? I am on the Twitters. would be easy. It's uh, at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You can find me uh, on both those places. And as always, please leave reviews on iTunes. But we have great news for all you not all you iTunes and Apple haters like me out there. You can finally write reviews somewhere else. There's a uh, website called podchaser.com. And on there, you can search for Cloud Accounting Podcast or click the link in the show notes and you can leave a review on Podchaser. And what's nice about that is those reviews are, are starting to appear in other podcast players. So it's one place to write a review. And regardless of the podcast player you use, it's going to populate across. They got some sort of API connection going on. That's cool. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I got I got turned on to you guys. And like the last few days, I've just been listening to what you're up to. This podcast is really good. I, I've enjoyed it. You guys are doing really great work. Oh, thank you. 
Thanks so much, Ben. That's, uh, that's awesome. We really yeah. appreciate that. Now go write a review. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. That, that's it for me. See to talk to you next week, David and Ben. Thanks for being on the show. All right. See you later. Bye everybody. Bye.